When I was in seminary, I, I took a class on the Sermon on the Mount. And at several points through the course, I remember thinking to myself, man, I, I want to take some time just to slow down in this text because it's so dense, it's so rich, it's so powerful, and we're just cruising through it. I felt like I was just drinking from a fire hydrant. And so I determined that at some point later on, after I had graduated, I would, I'd want to slow down with that. And so since September, that's what I've been doing. Just in my personal devotions, I've been taking some time to slowly work through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And it's just a masterpiece. Our Lord's Sermon is just a masterpiece. It's brilliant. It's packed with theology. It's packed with vivid illustration. It's packed with practical application. And this morning, I just want to focus on one sentence. I just want to look at the first sentence that Jesus uses to open his sermon. Matthew 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed. Jesus opens his sermon with something that hooks every single one of us. In a sense, he's asking this question with these words, do you want to know the way to the good life? Do you want to know the way to be truly happy? Do you want to experience a peaceful contentment? Do you want a joy that's not just circumstantial, that's only contingent upon things being well and going well in life? Do you want a lasting mental stability? Who doesn't want that? Which of us does not long for these things? Now, we might define the good life in all different kinds of ways. But Jesus knows that in the human heart, there is an innate desire to be happy. And so he starts his sermon right where he meets every single one of us. And he actually gives us a pathway to true joy, to true happiness. This happiness, this blessedness is for the poor in spirit, Jesus says. Well, what does that mean? Well, there are some things that it does not mean. Poverty of spirit is not a material poverty. It's got nothing to do with money. Financially rich people and financially poor people alike can be poor in spirit. It's not a personality trait. You know, the people who are just a little bit more quiet, they don't like being the center of attention, they're, they're just a little bit more reserved. That's not what poverty of spirit is. It's not cowardice. People who are poor in spirit are not nervous or sheepish or flabby without conviction. That's not poverty of spirit. Poverty of spirit is a spiritual poverty. Jesus said it's poor in spirit. Poverty of spirit is an awareness of your spiritual insufficiency. It's an honest humility. An honest humility that doesn't come by comparing ourselves to one another, but an honest humility as we see ourselves rightly in the presence of our holy, loving Creator God. It's a spiritual characteristic which means that it's one that only the Holy Spirit himself can create in us. Poverty of spirit is actually the very nature of every true child of God. It comes as a grace gift to those who have been born again. 
It's an attitude that all of us as Christians are called to mature in. Poverty of spirit is the exact opposite of self-reliance. It's the opposite of self-dependence. It's the opposite of an assertive self-expression. Poverty of spirit is the complete absence of pride. It's a kind of living that shows your reliance upon God for everything. Big things, little things. It's the complete and total surrender in all of life to the God who has made you. Now, if you hear that and you think, I think I'm actually doing pretty well in this area, you're probably not. (laughs) When Jesus says these things and we respond with, I think I've got that down, he's the target audience that you have. You are the target audience that he has in mind. See, Jesus and his kingdom, his kingdom ways are counterintuitive. They're not what we would expect, and they're very different from what we're used to. Honestly, how would you define happiness? Again, we all might differ in how we define that, but I think we'd hover somewhere around these areas. Blessed are the material wealthy. Blessed are those who have all that they need and most, if not all, that they want. Blessed are the well-connected, the networked. Blessed are the cool kids. Blessed are the beautiful people. Blessed are the influencers. Blessed are those who have all their stuff together. Blessed are the competent. Blessed are the ones who are never needy. These are the people we look up to, if we're honest. These are the people we want to be like. These are the people that we compare ourselves to. And these are the people who feel good about themselves because we actually feel like we've arrived at some of these places. There's a simple reason for this, and it's because it appeals to our pride, our egos. We're all prone to see life as if it all revolves around me. So being dependent on God, being poor in spirit, it actually takes effort. It it takes intentionality, especially for most of us because, again, being honest, generally speaking, the bills are paid. Generally speaking, we're in good health. Our kids wanted for very little Christmas morning. We're well-educated, and we send our kids to some of the best schools in this country. We hold very good jobs. There's plenty of opportunity, and most of us enjoy our work with time off to pursue hobbies. So, just to be clear, we should never feel guilty about these things. We should never feel guilty for times of stability or for God's blessings in our lives. These gifts are meant to be enjoyed. But while we should never feel guilty... We should also never be presumptuous. No matter how rich we may be materially, we must constantly see ourselves in spiritual need. The Bible repeats this theme time and again. 
Isaiah tells us that our God, who dwells in the high and the holy place, he also makes his home, his dwelling, with those who are contrite and who are lowly in spirit. James puts it more bluntly. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And the gospel itself tells us of our constant need. We were in such a sin-sick state that only the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ could heal us. The Bible gives us plenty to work from, but even a little common sense goes a long way. Doesn't our experience teach us how easy it is to be laid low? Anybody else had the flu yet this season? A breakup with a girlfriend or boyfriend? A simple change of plans or unmet expectations? A sports injury? An exercise routine that dies by the end of January? A flooded basement? A large, unexpected, uh, unplanned for expense? And the one that gets us all, death. In all of these, we're immediately confronted with our limitation, our frailty, our earthiness. We're not in control. All self-sufficiency is fraudulent. We are creatures living under our creator. And by our very nature, we are dependent. That's by design. So when our aim is to live independently from God, to live as if we don't really need him, we are working at cross purposes from the very way that we are designed to live in his world. So Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Happy are those who foster a day-by-day dependence upon God. None of us knows what's to come in this year ahead. And I really, truly do hope that it's a joyful year, a fruitful year, a peaceful year for us as God's people, but we'd be naive to think that that's all it's going to be. In moments when we are laid low, may God help us to really believe that the blessed are those who can say, when I am weak, then I am strong. God's grace is sufficient for me. His power is made perfect in my weakness. Blessed are those who know the peace of the psalmist who said, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high for me. I don't think on things too great and too marvelous, but I have calmed and quieted my soul. I'm at peace as I trust in the living God. And when we don't respond in these ways, when we complain, when we get angry, When we feel self-pitiful, let us return to God and say, Blessed are those whose sins are forgiven. Blessed are the poor in spirit. True joy is available to anyone who will humble themselves before God. I've been trying to apply this in some very simple ways in my life. It's a habit of anticipatory prayer. So in the morning, I just quickly scan my day. I think about the tasks, the meetings, the responsibilities I have. Sometimes I just jot down a little list. And then I anticipate showing up to these things. God's there waiting for me. How does he want me to arrive? 
What kind of attitude and demeanor would he like to see in me as I get to those points in my day? And so I just open my hands. My open hands are to show that I'm ready to receive. My open hands are to show that I'm ready to freely give. And I say, Father, fill me with yourself. Fill me with the love of God. And help me to give myself away in love to those around me. I'm not a big New Year's resolutions guy. It's great if you are. I'm just not. I think they're good. And I think there's a lot of good that comes from setting goals for yourself. But a lot of common resolutions are totally man-centered. And that's why they all fail. But I'd love to be a group of people, a group of happy people who cultivate an active dependence on God. I'd love to be those who wake up tomorrow and the next day and the day after that and say, God, I need you. And of all that will take place in our lives this year, may 2023 be marked by a deepening faith in our God. Marked by a humble dependence. Marked by a happy contentment. This is what Jesus offers to us as we rely on him. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Amen. Um, You know, I marvel sometimes at how God works because I didn't know anything that Jason was going to talk about this morning. And you'll see in a minute why I'm marveling. I want to read something familiar to you. Probably Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So you might know this passage. Maybe you read it just last week, celebrate Christmas. Maybe you heard it in the Charlie Brown Christmas special growing up, and that's why you know it. Let's be honest, that's probably why. Maybe it's familiar, maybe it's not, but you have some kind of vague recollection of a Christmas Bible thing that lives in the recesses of your brain somewhere. The real question is not, do you remember this, or can you recite this? The real question is, so what? Why is a baby being born, angels and shepherds, something that's relevant to me today in the year 2023 in Downingtown, Pennsylvania? Why should I care? Why or how is this important? We're meeting here in a church building, and I love that we use this building on Sundays and during the week to experience community I think that's genuinely beautiful. But do you know that this building is just a building? This building's not the church. Do you know that? The people who are committed to Brandywine Grace, they are the church. And do you know what all the people who are members, 
we call them partners here, of this community. Do you know what they all have in common? They, we, we got lots of people here. We got men, women, black, white, Asian, Indian, Ukrainian, African, young and old people who are part of this community. We have poor people. We have Chester County income level people. We have married people. We have divorced people. We have widows. We have singles. We have sufferers and healthy. We have Democrats and Republicans. Oh my. We got, we got people who go to AA. Do you know that? We got people who go to Alcoholics Anonymous. We have people who have been raised in a church environment. We have people who are brand new to anything church-related. We have people who have been abused by other people in the church. We've got military people who grew up all over the world, like me. And we have people who have lived in one place their entire life. We've got all kinds of people from hundreds of different backgrounds. But do you know what all of our members have in common? They've all been completely transformed by that little baby we celebrated last week. That's the common denominator amongst all of us. Not that we agree on everything because we don't. Or that we're all part of a specific denomination. Or we think we're better than anybody else. It's that we've been forgiven by God for our shortcomings because of the life, death, and resurrection of that baby born on Christmas. Everyone at Brandywine Grace sits under the banner of forgiven failure. Failure. We're all failures. I didn't read any of Jason's notes. We're all failures. So today, as we celebrate the start of 2023, I want to invite you not to keep coming to church every Sunday this year, although that would be great if you did. Not to try harder to be a better person so you could be nicer to people this year, although that would be great too. And not to act more religious as to feel like you're in better standing with God because you prayed, because you cracked open your Bible every day, or cracked open your Bible to read it every now and then this year. I want to invite you to admit that you're a failure this new year. Maybe not how you thought the sermon would go, right? Why am I saying that? Why am I extending that kind of invitation to you today? Well, because the Bible says that God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Psalm 138.6 says this, For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly. But the haughty, the prideful, he knows from afar. 1 Peter 5.5 5 says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders, which is a totally different sermon. But clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And James 4, 6, that Jason referred to earlier, says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. 
he extends unearned favor, unearned love, unearned acceptance, unearned mercy toward people who admit with humility that they are imperfect. Yet God rejects people who believe they have it all together or can somehow earn their way to him by being a good enough person to make him happy or assuaged. You know, I've been in full-time Christian ministry for over 23 years, working primarily with college students. And you'd be shocked to hear that most people who believe that there's a heaven still think that they're good with God or can get to heaven based on this principle. I'm not that bad. Or I'm better than most people. But when you boil down that kind of thinking and really get to the roots of it, you know what it reduces to? Arrogance. Cockiness. A lack of pride. Or a lack of humility. And it's full of pride. And God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So that naturally begs the question, who are the humble? Well, the humble are the men, women, and children who admit that they cannot add one single solitary ounce of goodness, holiness, or respectability to their right standing with the creator of the universe. The humble are the ones who know that when all their cards are on the table, the measuring of their life's goodnesses and evils are going to end up being weighed and they're going to end up wanting. The humble are holistically aware and have accepted that, spiritually speaking, they are a failure in need of some kind of miraculous intervention in order to change their situation. They need someone to do something. And Christianity is about the ultimate someone doing the ultimate something. God himself, God himself, came down to earth in the form of a little baby, lived for 33 years, perfectly sinless, was executed unjustly on a Roman cross, and then kicked in the door of death when he rose from the dead three days later. The punishment all of us losers deserve was pointed with laser focus on Jesus Christ when he was murdered on that cross. And his record of perfect, sinless living was transferred to all who would admit and believe that they are in need of a miraculous intervention to change their situation. God's acceptance is freely given to any person who admits they need someone to do something. And when they admit and believe, everything about their life changes. Everything. They're no longer a slave to the vices of their past. They're no longer under the condemnation of their failures. They live now in the freedom of new life. They live in a relationship with the living God. 
You know what all Christians have in common? True Christians, not like nominally Christians, I check the box, I'm a Christian, but like true Christians who have been transformed by this. They believe that a baby born over 2,000 years ago is still alive right now. They believe that his bones aren't buried somewhere in the Middle East waiting to be discovered by some archaeologist. They believe that baby lived a perfect, sinless life, was crucified for our sins, rose from the grave, and offers life to anyone who would say yes and receive it. So I want to invite you to admit that you're a failure this new year. But know that in your failure, God offers forgiveness to anyone humble enough to acknowledge their need. Christianity isn't about the things that you do or the church you attend. It's about who you receive. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. May you be humble and have your life changed by him so that you look back on the first day of 2023 and say, that was the time when everything changed for me. That's when I finally admitted to being a failure and God extended to me forgiveness. That's the day I finally believed. Let's pray. Lord, would the men, women, and children in this room who haven't done so already admit to you that they are in need? May they finally let go of their pride and with humility say to you, rescue me, Jesus. Rescue me from myself. Rescue me from my arrogant belief that I'm good enough. Save me from my failures and brokenness. Come into my life and transform me into the person you want me to be. And God, would the men, women, and children in this room who have already admitted initially that they are in need of you and place their faith in you, would they also admit that right now we are people in desperate need of you and your grace? May this be the new year that we didn't make our resolutions to be better, but instead resolve to let go of pride, the pride we hold on to in order to justify our own miserable behavior toward others and toward you. May we extend to you with open hands the pride we have that causes us to yell angry words at the person who cuts us off on the highway, the pride that manifests itself in gossiping about others who we think aren't as good as we are, the pride that pursues the American dream more than dying to ourselves and following you, the pride that generates passive-aggressive or angry words spoken to our wife or husband or children or friends. May we extend all that to you. And by your grace, will you transform our hearts to make them more and more into the amazing likeness of our Savior. You can literally make that happen in every life in this room. Would you do it? Would you do it by the power of your Holy Spirit? We boldly ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.